0: Hello, babes and trolls, kids and queers. Welcome to Milleniagram, the Enneagram podcast your pastor definitely won't be recommending. Together, we are here to learn a little self-deprecation, a little integration, and together, dig ourselves out of our goddamn ditches. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? This is Garbage Oprah, aka Hannah Posh, and I am coming at you live and burnt out from <laughs> wild Goose festival um, but I have an amazing conversation to have today with one of my favorite internet threes Suannen Shaw and she has graciously decided to meet with me and talk a little bit about threes because I feel like the ways that we usually discuss them um, really leaves a lot of y'all's experience out so um, hello Suanne thank Hi. you thank you so much for being here um, What I would love to hear first is tell us your number and like how you discovered it Mm -hmm. and how, like how you knew that you related to being Mm into. Yeah. So
1: I am a three with a two wing. Okay. And I first heard about Enneagram when maybe like six years ago, my friend Melissa Karaji was super, super into it and would do that thing where she talked about everybody (sighs) And would like to say, well, you're like that because you're a blah, blah, blah. And then <laughs> Drag everyone's me. eyes glaze over and everyone else would be talking about it. And I just kind of like doubled down on not caring because <laughs> the more my friends talked about it, the more I was just like, I, I don't want to give in to the, your peer pressure to, mm. to do this. And so... Apparently, though, she used to be like, every time I would say, I don't really care about this, she would go, that's because you're a four, and fours don't want to be put in boxes. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, she's not wrong. Yeah. And and so Melissa uh, actually is a three. And so they would talk about it all the time. And then my friend Emily Newton also got super into it, and they would hang out and talk about it. Finally, one day, Melissa was not around, and our friend Katie was in town, and um, Emily got really into it and was like, oh, this is the Enneagram book, and it was a really thick one with the Enneagram <laughs> symbol-y thing on the front that's mm-hmm. kind of bluish looking. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know which Wisdom type. of
0: the Enneagram. There you go.
1: And we just started flipping through and talking about it, and it was the first time I actually felt like... I was being invited to engage as opposed to like being talked over mm. Mm. with all these things that meant nothing to me. And we kind of flipped through them and we were talking and I, and then me and my friend Katie, who was visiting from out of town, we both took the quizzes on our phone, like the really long one. The
0: Ennea app, yeah.
1: Yeah. Not like an app, but like a website Okay. One. Okay. And it's the one that tells you which ones you score the high, what numbers you score the highest on. Right, right, right. On. Yep. And I scored super high on, well, the highest I scored on was three. I also scored really high on two and one and five and um, just nine. But I think that I sh- did not score high on six, seven, or eight. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah eight was
1: my lowest yeah makes sense (laughs) makes sense i tend to think of threes and eights as being two sides of the same coin but very different like inherently totally different um and so what was it about the three description that
0: stuck out to you
1: well i read i i don't actually remember what my what it felt like when i read that chapter but i do remember reading it from the book that she had lying around and being like oh this is totally me and you know obviously like i I'm, I'm i started i'm a creative person i came to nashville to do music and i kind of had this idea of who i wanted to be this image and but i think what spoke out to me was um the awareness the constant awareness of interpretation of people of you and how you presented yourself to the world mm. and i think that that is probably what i think Threes uniquely deal with. I think a lot of people like to talk about three as being success oriented, but the chameleon aspect of the th- three is probably what has what I find most resonant. And um, because you know, you you set agendas and you decide what you want, but then you also what What's different about the three is like you do what you need to do to achieve it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's real. <laughs> So it was just so funny
1: because my friend, who was so convinced that I was a four, because in her head I was this artistic feelings person, and lo and behold, I was actually the same number as her.
0: (laughs) Wow. What's interesting is, and I, I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse always talking about this, but like it's not about behavior. It's about, because it's really easy to type somebody based on what they do, but sometimes we do similar things for different motivations, you know? Yes, and I think what's
1: fascinating about me and my friend Melissa is that we're both threes, but how we define success for ourselves is really different. Ooh, yeah. And so, therefore, like, what she ends up doing (laughs) is totally different. And what she has focused her life on appearing as and um, wanting to be known as is defined by that. Whereas for Mm. me, like, I... I guess that I value in my like my personal definitions of success are more defined by like what she probably imagines most fours are, and I think living in Nashville where everyone's kind of an artist, you get into this like wow everyone's a four and an artist kind of mentality, (laughs) which is a little obnoxious,
0: but yeah, it's a little stereotyping. Um, I wonder. So I know that you and I have had conversations before and I wonder if maybe you are acutely aware of when other people are chameleoning like when you can see other people pulling that shit you know where they're like putting maybe putting up a well okay let's go back because chameleoning can be positive or negative yes yes tell me a little bit about those two different kinds of experiences for you you know I think this goes
1: back to an interesting fact about the enneagram which is about motivation yeah and I think that that um is what is most interesting about the three is this might be a me thing. It might not be all threes, but for me, I'm really good at reading people Mm. because I know how I present myself. And a lot of times in order for me to get what I want, I have to, Intuit what other people want and then try and make that happen. Yeah. So I'm kind of a master of motivation and picking up small cues from people about what is it they really want and how can I give it to them or how will I not be able to give it to them (laughs) (laughs) or how I choose to actually actively defy their expectation of what they want from me in a moment.
0: I like that. Which
1: has been apparent in other podcast interviews that I have
0: done. (laughs) Not mentioning any names, it's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the the danger of a three is like, you know what people want from you almost intuitively. And if you are not disciplined, you will always end up defaulting to, because I'm a two as well. I'm a helper and I want to please people. So there there is a, a pull in me to be who other people want or need me to be in order to sure. be defined as their um, success or respect or dignity or honor or whatever. And, um, I think growing, growing in that is to realize that there's a quote I actually love from *Double Wears Prada that I <laughs> use all the time, which, you know, um, Meryl Streep is like talking to Anne Hathaway's character and she's like, you know, you're different. Cause like you, you can understand what people want. You can under- and you can see what people need and then you can decide for yourself. And you remind me of myself in Anne Hathaway as Meryl (laughs) Meryl Streep's character. And I do think that is kind of the important growth moment for um, a three is, you know, you know what people want, you know what people need, but you have to decide for yourself how you will intentionally fall into that or not. I think that if you've listened to my interview on um, Kevin Garcia's podcast, I talked about how I think that the concept of authenticity is a white myth. And
0: Oh, <laughs> say more. <laughs> the
1: foreigner was like deeply threatened by
0: that. <laughs> I'm so mad but keep going.
1: <laughs> well, I do think that who we are is a lot shaped by our communities and who we're a part of. Sure. And I think that authenticity is really rooted in this individualistic way of see- of idealizing the self.
0: Like I'm born in a vacuum.
1: Yeah, exactly. This which I- you're
0: not. You're not. and <laughs> No one is. And people have this idea
1: like, you are who you really are when you're alone. And I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, for people who especially come from collectivist communities, which is mostly like people of color in yeah. a lot of ways, Um, Who you are is in many ways defined by your community and who and what parts of yourself come alive will only come alive in the presence of certain other people. And that's not a lie. That's not a deception. It's actually just a reality of how humanity is inherently collective.
0: Yeah, that's freaking cool. (laughs) I'm really into that. Um, You mentioned it a little bit, but I'd love to hear more about like um, coming from the cultural background that you do how is your experience of being a three molded by that
1: yeah i think that my threeness is molded by being the child of immigrants Mm. um i have to interpret i have to (laughs) literally like whether it's language or culture um be a interpreter for my family and um my parents' English is great, but there's still things that they don't always pick up on. Sure, sure. Um I just want to put that out there they actually have really good English skills. Um <laughs> don't like if you ever meet them don't be like, "Hi, my you know just they, they're, they're they're not dumb. <laughs> They'll get by. They're not stupid. Yes. Um they're fine. But um a lot of times my parents weren't able to express what they wanted with words or at least the words in the way that they are meant that they are mm. standard Lee understood in English. Sure, and so I have acquired a skill of being able to understand what it is they wanted without them having to say it. Whoa! And um, a big part of that is because of a lack of ability to communicate nuances. Like I, I do think that that has formed me in my ability to understand motivation and wants and needs in nonverbal ways, mm. or to like give take like a. a a sentence in English that can mean 20 different things and be able to put it in the context and under and extrapolate what it is. My parents are actually trying to say to me. Oh, so, um, but that's like a uniquely like immigrant child experience that I think a lot of people, whatever their different cultural backgrounds come from might be able to relate to. And I also think that, um, community because community is so important that, um, that, that is why I'm like that. My two wing kind of comes out in that is that I, who I am is important to who I am serving and my people. So mm-hmm. I know you've had Jonah Venegas on and he's Chinese and Filipino and a lot of um, kind of the things that he talks about in relationship to his family and his his nature as a helper. I, I, I would not be surprised if they're rooted in part of Asian culture being a lot more collectivist. I think for me, I am a three. And so how I define success is very much because I'm com- very communal, like collectivist and communal in a lot of ways, um, I then will try to succeed or fulfill the checklist in each yeah. community that I'm a yeah. part of. And so, within like my more Asian and Chinese Taiwanese community, being a helper and supporting roles, um, I was and I am sort of in the like more reformed community. I'm like technically still a member of the Presbyterian Church in America. <laughs> have not uh, withdrawn my membership
0: yet. Um, You're <laughs> brave.
1: It's a very intellectual community that highly mm. prizes intellectual critical thinking and engagement. So sometimes people think I'm a five because I really get into the nitty gritty of theology and intellectual conversations. Um, and part of that is because that was what i needed to be to be respected and valued in that community not to say that sure. i'm not i don't think i would be drawn to that community if i didn't have a part of myself that also valued it
0: absolutely but yeah. those things
1: build on each other yeah so that does that kind of answer your question totally
0: totally so um i would like to talk about um the most imp- most exciting idea that you brought up to me (laughs) because i think um i think it's a phenomenon that i see with other three friends um given our current cultural climate and and like the point of Millenniagram is that it's for now it's about like what's happening now um and so you mentioned on twitter this phenomenon of threes gone wild um and i would love for you to talk about um kind of maybe the impetus or the catalyst for that and also what it looks like just just go ham yeah tell me your shit. okay so i came up with this
1: idea after observing a couple different people who identified as threes in kind of like christian like progressive post-christian twitter culture and i'd call it threes gone wild all about it so let me tell a parable. So, <laughs> You have a child who is building a Lego house and is like literally picking out every color to match and perfectly proportioning and structurally making it sound as possible. And then you have a kid who just kind of like puts shit together here and there and whatever. And then like 10 seconds later, like decides to destroy it with a dinosaur. Mm. Okay, so we have two different kinds of people here. I tend to think... And this is all in the relief of like, I was thinking of, I was listening to Kevin Garcia's episode with Jen Hadamaker on his podcast, where yeah. he was trying to convince her that she was an eight. And I was like, Kevin, you're projecting because you are an eight. You do not <laughs> understand what goes on in the heart and in the mind of a three. Because we're both, we're both numbers of action, but the motivation and the emotional baggage is totally different. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so
1: Like, you want to burn shit down because you just want to burn shit down, okay?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You get off on that.
1: You get off on that. The three, no, they brick by Lego brick, built Mm. intentionally and thoughtfully every piece. You know, someone like Jen Hadamaker does not become one of the most best-selling Christian women in publishing by... Just being like, I'm just going to do whatever. going to say what I want. Yeah. yeah. No, you know exact. Every move is calculated because, and I think for women, for people of color, for queer people, and people who are all like multiple like of those identities, a lot of times the only way to survive is to do the chameleon, is to observe the community around you, find out what their expectations are, and to fulfill them perfectly. Because... It is an unforgiving world where you cannot be anything less than perfect because you know that you will not get a second chance. Mm. And so because we have a heightened awareness of the culture and an ability to um, reflect what we need to in order to survive, um, we're able to get into kind of inner circles that other people from our marginalized identities probably usually wouldn't be able to get into. Huh. Okay. And in that process we see how the sausage is made. <laughs> we threes, we Hannah and I have a joke and with my friend Mimi about how threes know all the secrets and threes <laughs> what threes really think. Because the three knows when to shut your mouth and the three knows <laughs> when to say something because every move is calculated. And <clears throat> So you get in and you figure these things out and you build you build your the world that you want. And if you're like a decent person and you're not kind of a slimy person, your your motivation for navigating this world is because you know how powerful the machine is and how if you, and you think to yourself if I was at the helm, I could do so much good.
0: From right? There. I could
1: change things. Right. Um because nobody else can speak their language, nobody else can you know, cite the Westminster Catechism at, and the perfectly timed Tim Keller quotes the way I can. <laughs> like, like, who else is gonna come in and actually be able to communicate to them and challenge them in their own words? Right. Very few people. And the reform community for me has been that because they are very like in-group, out-group. And they pretty much don't like yeah. to listen to anybody who doesn't kind of like hold their views. Totally, yeah. Um, I might be giving away too much about myself right now. <laughs> that's what every three is afraid of is like when we talk about Enneagram, we're like, no, no, you, you can't tell them my secret. No, I don't I want, want you to understand these. me this much. <laughs> because then you might think I'm like a manipulative person.
0: But and really- I think that's how a lot of people misread threes is that your calculation is somehow... Um, underhanded malicious in some way I think it's fascinating to think
1: about freedom from (laughs)
0: freedom (laughs) freedom yes
1: from like a perspective of a marginalized person versus somebody who is a bastion of power Mm. because someone who's a three who's from a marginalized identity it's what helps them survive (laughs) yeah right and it's what makes like I'm actually better at this than the people who this system was born for because you have an awareness of how it works right um but anyway my point being three's gone wild you get in and you see how it is and you you kind of achieve the things that you wanted to achieve but at some point you realize that the system is designed to do what the system is designed to do and you are one person and even if you've found your way into the inner circle um it is not like a ship that you can steer. It is a train that is on a track. Mm. And um, and you try to do the things you wanna do to push things, mar- like step by step to make them better. Because threes know change happens slowly over time and it just takes pushing the line a little more here, a little more there, leading people out of their comfort zones a little bit further as they can, as they can never too far. Because I think there was a really great part about a little millenniagram back and forth about like different numbers at a party with Trump supporters and how you would interact with that. <laughs> yes. And the three gives the perfectly worded, you know, drop the statistic here, add an emotional supportive sentence here. Like, <laughs> like it's just, you know, exactly what the person needs in the moment and give yeah. them no more than what you, like you kind of already know they're capable of. Right. But you realize that that you can't, you can't,
0: It's like a strategic meeting someone where they are. Oh, yeah. So that you can
1: keep pushing them forward. Mm. Um, You three, like threes work the system. But at some point, especially as a marginalized person who is trying to work the system, you realize the system is working you.
0: Ooh, yeah. And
1: you don't know what to do from there. And you see how all of the efforts that you have given, that you have, that all the things you've sacrificed, all the times you held your tongue because you knew that the sacrifice of waiting till the right moment to say it, instead of saying in the moment when you're, when you emotionally wanted to react, sure. it all flashes before your eyes, and you wonder, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> you know, it's it's the act of that child who's put every Lego piece perfectly in place. The kid with the dinosaur comes and destroys it all, and you mm. realize all of the hours and hours and years and years of my life I've spent are maybe meaningless and what do i do now right i think that that moment came for me um because i was a side b for a super long time and say what that means really quick yes so and i'm also bisexual so it's like weird because i don't hear a lot of people who are side b who are bi talk about it but (laughs) Um, it means that it's okay to be gay or queer. You just don't uh, have sex, gay sex. So you also just can't don't get, act on it. Can't get married sure. to someone of the same sex as you. Um, you are going to be celibate or um marry somebody <clears throat> in a man woman marriage. And so um I was able to I was I am and I was in a very conservative denomination. Yeah. Right? Like and i survived and i was celebrated
0: right mm. for um, being side b yeah essentially yeah. okay yeah
1: people every time i came out like i came out at our uf at our which is our college ministry um people came up to me and hugged me and like told me how brave i was they also did that when i came out i spoke at our women's retreat at my church and i came out to like half the church Everyone wow. was super like I have never. This is like a hallmark of a three. I've never had a negative coming out experience
0: because <laughs> I would never. Because you planned that shit. Because well. I never would talk come out
1: to somebody who I didn't know would actually be not a dick about it. <laughs> mm,
0: that's fair. That's really fucking fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I calc- everything was calculated. It was also exhausting because like. Jesus. I would run yeah. through a thousand scenarios in my head before I came out to somebody, so I could be prepared for whatever they would throw. At me. Sure, but um, so I decided to be for a super long time, and then I started to be not sure that that was exactly what God had in store mm-hmm. for me, or also everyone else. I think I left that part behind a long lot earlier, <laughs> but. Um, I kind of knew that this was this invisible boundary line that I could not cross, that I could not question, and if I did, I would lose everything I had built in my life for, I don't know, at least 10, 12 years because I converted to being a Christian at, or like around 13 so, it would
0: be like knocking your own Lego house down. It would, be, it would down. be
1: knocking my my and perfectly built Lego house mansion with like swimming pool and four car <laughs> garage and on un- ensuite jacuzzi and you know hardwood floors and fireplace that I had, like perfectly built. It's a
0: bougie ass Lego palace, <laughs> a, really le- a really beautiful, <laughs> structurally
1: sound, aesthetically pleasing Lego palace. It would be knocking it all to the ground. Wow. And um, and one thing for me, which might be a three thing, is that I have always known what I wanted. Um, a lot of people, a lot of fours have a hard time knowing what it is that they want and spend a lot of... Real time over that. Hey, we're recording. Yeah, I was trying to shut the door a little oh. bit more. <laughs> but as a three, uh, I've never had a problem knowing exactly what I want and then figuring out what I need to do to just go do that. So um, I realized what the, what God was con- how God was convicting me. I knew exactly what the right thing to do was. And because I'm a three, I knew exactly what all the consequences were going to be. <laughs> I did not have any, um, like, optimistic ideas that people would just love me and accept me and that life could go on. I knew that I was intentionally taking um, – Taking a wrecking ball to everything I'd ever built, but I knew that was the truth, and mm. that that um, was what I was called to do. And when I look at people like George Macal and um, and like someone like Jen Hadamaker, who both were people who kind of reached the the s the the like the pinnacle points of evangelical success, right, and then just like. Came out as affirming, both of them straight people. Yeah, no, fully knowing that ev- the empires that they had built for themselves would disappear. Mm. Um, and so that was me. I I wasn't you know a megachurch pastor. I wasn't a best-selling <laughs> Christian writer. Right. But um, I had built a cushy place for myself amongst the artistic reformed community and. Um, in, a, in a reasonably comfortable place within the PCA as a great token queer person of color. <laughs> and um, and I knew that if I even voiced that I had doubt that God was calling all people to be celibate, all gay people to be celibate, um, I would be marked as a traitor and as dangerous, which I was.
0: Hmm.
1: And so... Um, I burned it all down, not because I liked watch. It actually hurts. It hurts a lot more to watch it burn when you built it lovingly. God, yeah. Um, but once you have seen every all of your worst fears come true and have lived through it, and to be able to tell the tale, there is very little you are afraid of after that. And that is the boldness which a three who has integrated – um, can approach the world now is mm. to say I'm gonna make the world my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and so, like, mm. so, that's what I think it means when um when three's gone wild, you just get pushed way way far past the point, and you're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell all your secrets now. Wow, because cause I.
0: I know them. Because there's no <laughs> because
1: there's no point left in me keeping them. Yeah. Because I have lost everything. Yeah. And that is not a person you want to cross.
0: Mm-mm. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> wow. So what has it been like for you post going wild? Yeah. Well, it's so funny. Someone explained what a three integration
1: looks like, and I was like, oh. I think I've been doing that. <laughs> because, you know, threes integrate to six. Yes. And they disintegrate to nine. Right. Which is the deeply the temptation to be passive and to shut up and to say nothing and to let people put on you all of the things that they want to think of you and will be most uh, palatable to mm. them. So the passivity of the nine is definitely like – what happens when a three is under stress is you just like do you just disintegrate to that um and i have definitely had the temptation to do that at many points um so but the six you know you you know who your people are and mm. um the the comfort of knowing i don't need it to go out and conquer the world i just need to have my place in my home in my circle yeah that that's the power of the three is to know that you cannot be successful and beloved in every sphere that you want to, but that you are dedicated to a specific circle and community and, um, and to be comfortable in a lot of people not respecting you or hating you. Um, whatever, you know, that's, that sliding scale of <laughs> just not liking you to hating you. <laughs> <is>. <laughs> um, and so you are going to use the skills and the knowledge that you have to succeed and to fight for your communities Mm. as you like more limitedly define them. Yeah. Um, And you are okay with that. You're okay with not being able to um, just please everyone. Right. So for me, um, it has been finding a new community and really investing in that. So, um, for me, I, the LGBT Christian community, particularly those of that community that are people of color, they are my, like I will die for you, I will burn <laughs> everything down for you, or I will dr- go in disguise and infiltrate whoever I need to infiltrate
0: to to do that for you. You can lean into the six or the three, <laughs> depending on what what's needed. Well yeah, exactly. And I think, but
1: that's the thing is you use the three in a six way, where like the yes, the boundaries of the six are what's healthy for the three <laughs> <laughs> God, that's real. Yeah. So, um, my life has looked a lot more like um, finding people who allow me to be fully present mm. and to not have to selectively show parts of myself in order to um, be accepted and in or- order to like kind of flow through the ranks. Wow. And I think yeah. that is like the greatest breath of fresh air and the drink of cool water a three needs is to be able to let down the walls of mirage that protect you, especially as a marginalized three um, and to be able to show your underbelly and, For me, I think a lot of threes do reach a point of breakdown where it is because you're holding up so much to maintain the fake till you make it or, like, I'm totally okay that it all crashes down. I think I saw something on the tag that someone was like, oh, when, like, three – like, a three having a – or having a panic attack in front of someone you care about – like, it's like third base for a three.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't remember that tweet, but it should be one.
1: Yes. And, like, I had panic attacks um, in front of many people, my church. I had one at church. Um, I had two other ones that were more in private in front of people that I trusted and cared about. But it did. That was a breaking point for me, where I realized I couldn't hold it all together anymore mm. because the attempt to do that was destroying me from the inside out. So I had to limit my scopes of influence and um, and who who I needed to please and who, yeah and whose approval in certain ways I needed to be limited to and redefining success in different communities.
0: I'm so interested. Um- I remember you tweeting a lot about this too and it really like it was a learning experience for me you were talking about um, this concept that we have of personal growth as like a key part of that being vulnerability and it almost sounds like what you're describing there but I but I I was really, I learned a lot from the way that you spoke about it on Twitter as being, and I think it has to do with that going back to like authenticity as a white myth. um, How it sounds like you are choosing vulnerability, but maybe you are being selective about the spaces where that's safe. Can you talk a little bit about the nuance there for me? Yeah. The specific context
1: of the thread that you're referring to was my response to Brene Brown mm-hmm. and um, a conversation she had with Duray McKesson, which was streamed, which mostly contained a lot of things I've just heard her say before. Sure. So um, Duray did bring out a couple interesting things um, where he did talk about the re-traumatization of his own pain in in being vulnerable in the wrong places, especially with yeah. um, the violence that he experienced at Ferguson. And um, I think that we hear these calls for vulnerability a lot of time from white people to people of color to share their stories of trauma. Mm. And in order for white people to understand the unspoken and silent trauma that so many people of color are constantly going through and i do understand the purpose of this yeah. as a 3 i'm always like i am like everything's about effectiveness <laughs> so i'm like <laughs> i do understand that you will never learn about the oppression we have until we tell you about it mm. but also like we spend our entire lives trying to make it so that you wouldn't pity us cuz we don't want mm. though society makes us feel less already right. and to share all of those moments of pain and just Like, it's about, it's like talking about all the things you were bullied for as a kid. It's like, oh, well, people don't understand what you were bullied for. Let me just dig up
0: that old wound for you. Exactly. So it's going
1: to be a teaching moment so you can become a more empathetic human. (laughs) I was, I mean, I was like a vulnerability fountain. Like, I knew, like, see, that's the thing is like, I knew that to be effective in my racial justice work with white people, I had to share my pain. And so I did it because I knew that's what they needed. But what I didn't realize is where the boundary of what I needed was. Ooh,
0: ooh. Yeah.
1: And so I needed to be able to not feel like I had to sideshow my pain in order to get white people to care. Right. I felt like I had to prove to you just how how, cool, bad, it was. how bad it was and how, yeah. like, pitiful I am in order for you to give a fucking damn to get off your ass and do something. And that is extremely dehumanizing to do over and over and over again. And the like, outpour of responses i got from people of color to my thread pretty much confirmed that they all feel this way too <laughs> and i think that like part of it is the way labor is exchanged as well as people of color are often or just queer people like i know a lot of queer people who have the same things of like how many more coffees do i need to have Jesus. with a street person so yeah that they can understand what it means to be a gay christian <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, Caitlin Stout wrote a piece about it. You should read it; it's great. You should, and <laughs> you really should, though. Like, you, um, you do all these coffees, you do all these meetings, and. Nobody pays you and you buy your own drink and you just leave feeling emptier every time you do it. But you know that like the only way to, to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So you just are like, I just have to keep going. I just have to cheap, change more hearts and minds. I just have to. But you're to.
0: providing all this free labor. emotional labor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And nobody is taking care of you because no one knows how to take care of you mm. because you are alone in that as a marginalized person in your community in yeah. faith, particularly in a community of faith. So uh, I was just like I got so burned out. I got so 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 burned out having coffees with every white person that said jump, and <laughs> or every straight person. Mostly they were all straight and white, and had like a zil. I was like the only student of color in my um, in my college ministry. I was like pretty much one of the only people of color consistently at the church I was at for eight years. I was the only out queer person in both of those spaces. So like I had double Damn. duty. Everyone wanted to meet with <sighs> me to talk about whatever, you know, hot button thing they Tell needed. Tell us your to story
0: play. again, Suanne
1: Yeah. And I I just got really tired of that. And, um, and having to perform pain. I felt like a, a dancing monkey. Fuck. So yeah. I'm like, I don't want other people of color to feel like, you have to do that. And the calls for vulnerability often are are kind of couched in that context. And we need to make it sustainable for, like, people of color who have to share the most humiliating parts of their life on a regular basis. Like, you need to actually financially compensate them so they can afford to not work, so that they can do the emotional self-care and physical self-care that they need to, to up- keep doing that kind of work.
0: Mm,
1: yeah. And nobody, it was like on top of making less money and getting less jobs as a queer woman of color, I also had to meet with all these people for free and pay for my own damn coffee. Like, (laughs) the least you could do is buy the iced coffee. Yeah. So, I think that that's a lot of people of color who are like the tokenized person of color in their communities get really burned out by that.
0: Right, right. So,
1: that does that answer your your question no it absolutely does i was just
0: talking about vulnerability and like you know choosing as a three to let your truth be known
1: yeah and i think effectiveness is a big part of it because i knew that that was the most effective way to get people from a from a position of power Mm. Is to like I know it's like it's all about the story and like you know facts and figures not, like you gotta tell me <laughs> your story. But what I didn't realize was my own limitations. Right. And I think that that is what an- ended up burning me out.
0: Yeah. So, as what do you do now? Like how do you, how do you navigate, um, how do you navigate um, requests to to talk about your experiences or tell your story, quote unquote.
1: I, I do an evaluation of the situation and the person what what are I know what they're asking me on the surface but I usually do a little imagining and I think what is it they really ask or what's the question they should be asking instead and is there a resource that is pre-existing I can send them which Ooh. will be more useful than like if they if what they're looking for is knowledge and information they can read a fucking
0: book or listen to a podcast don't make don't make the people of color in your community reinvent the wheel every time.
1: Yeah, and
0: like it helps if they've done their
1: homework. Mm -hmm. So like once they actually meet with you, they have questions that are informed. Like I met with my pastor once and we were talking about whiteness. He like didn't even believe that it was like a real thing. And I was like, bro, literally, he was like, I don't understand. What is this whiteness thing you talk about? I was like, I literally just Googled this on my phone and I showed him here is a whiteness studies program from several colleges. Here is a, what is whiteness from the New York Times. You literally could have Googled all of this and read it before you met with me to <laughs> ask me what whiteness was. Right? Like, that's not a useful use of my time or his time. Really and, not. like, white people who are well mean, well-meaning white people, they're like, but, like, I care about this because I care about you. And, you know, it's it's not about an issue. It's about a person. And I'm just like... I can't be everybody's Google, just Google it. And then you can come talk to me. But most of the time, it's not about actually learning and growing. It's about assuaging straight or, and or white guilt.
0: And it's a, it can almost be performative. Like, look, see, I care about this. I asked you to come to coffee to tell me about your life. Like, yeah, I'm basically. one of the good ones, right? Right? Basically. Give me my cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um. That's amazing. Um, Sue Ann, this is, this is really good. And I'm so glad that you were able to be here today, that we could throw this together. Um, I ask every guest who comes on Millenniagram to share an affirmation either for all the audience or for others of their number. Um, do you have anything that you would want to share?
1: I, I answered this question on Twitter one time because I think you had posted it. Um, I think
0: I did a long time ago. I forgot about that. The
1: I've been following you for a long time, Hannah. Thanks so
0: much. <laughs> Thanks for remembering.
1: I have three remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's all up here. Yep. So store that for later. <laughs> Beep. Store that for later. Um, so mine is when I'm. So I there's a thing I call the shame spiral. I also came out God, with yes. which threes usually are like totally running perfectly until one thing breaks and then it's like (laughs) and it's a shame spiral and the more you try to fix everything because you're in a shame spiral the worse it gets and then you just get dug into a deeper and deeper hole where you're like I can never do anything I'm a failure oh what is everyone gonna think I can't tell anyone everyone keeps asking me how this one thing is going that I'm supposed to be doing and I can't I can't do it anymore um so the only way to get out of a shame spiral is to stop work trying to work on the thing that you so desperately are afraid you will never accomplish, wow. which is counterintuitive. Um, I recommend reading books like The Sabbath by Abraham Joshua Heschel, and in um, the concept of the Sabbath has deep, been deeply healing for me. But um, so when I am... I can feel like the crumbling of the cookie is happening and I am about to like go into a deep shame spiral. What I do is I say three things to myself. I say, God is good. God loves you. God is powerful. And I think part of it is I have to say God loves me because I'm like, okay, the world is going to be okay. God loves me. God is good. Well, and wants good things for me, and God is powerful. So I have to have all three because if a God is not powerful and is only good and loves me, then is unable to do anything to help me. Mm -hmm. If God is powerful and loves me but is not good, then, like, my life is probably going to end up fucked up. Right. If my if God doesn't love me but is good and powerful, then I am a mite which will be smushed mm. under the Calvinist heel oh, of depravity. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I just kind of remi- – I, I think that, like, that as a spiritual mantra is helpful for a lot of threes who do feel like I have to control everything. I have to be perfect. I have to, like, do all of this. And to remember that, like, God, there is a God who is going to finish the work. Um, that you will never be able to accomplish, mm. um, no matter how effective or smart or hardworking you are. And, um, and one that loves you no matter what you accomplish or even if you never uh, do anything on your like lifelong ambition list and that uh, that God is good and has a good life plan for you. So even if your plans do not go as you wish – you will still have a good life. Mm. So um, I know that everybody is at different stages of faith things, but right. um, as a three who is very invested in a sense of order <laughs> in the world, yeah, <laughs> um, those are the things I actually have to tell myself so that I just don't disappear into a shame spiral. And I, I've heard from some of my other three friends who I've shared that with that um, that those are some of their deepest fears and that those are the ways to kind of, the the ways to confront them is to say there is something beyond you, and mm. um, beyond your capability, beyond your knowledge, beyond your imagination, and um, and it's not all up to you to fix everything. It's not all on your shoulders. It is not. Yeah. And your worth and your dignity and your value as a human being is not dependent upon your output.
0: Oof. Yeah. Fuck capitalism.
1: <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and,
0: and all gods people said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Suanne, thank you so much for being here today. I so appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Catch Suanne on Twitter. Um, you can find Suanne at Suan S-U-E-A-N-N. S-U-E-A-N-N Shah S-H I A H on the Twitter. Anywhere else, Suanne, that we should look for you I, like, don't Instagram that much, but I do that. It's there. It's there.
1: And then I have a link to my email list on my Twitter, and you can sign up for that. And you'll get all my, like, workshop recordings and stuff, and I'll let you know if I'm speaking Sweet. at any conferences or do any podcast interviews. Beautiful. So, um, and my album just came out a couple weeks ago. Yes! So. what What is it called? It's called A Liturgy for the Perseverance of the Saints.
0: Mm. And what is what is the... Yeah, so it's the idea. Um,
1: it's a reclaimed hymns project. It's uh, ten songs with scripture readings between certain songs, and like a liturgy. It is like actually a liturgy, sure. not just using buzzwords for the sake of buzzwords here. <laughs> and uh, we want to call
0: anything a liturgy these days.
1: Pretty much. <laughs> um, and it is a queer worship album, and um, cool. and it's been inspired by my time post everything I burned my life down and I lost everything I ever cared about <laughs> except for, except for God God was there through all of it and so that's kind of what this album is about is like is like worshiping when you are alone in your room because you can't go to church because you'll have panic attacks wow. so yeah. um, so there's so and a lot of people of color post-election have also been unable to return to their communities so um, it's it's a combination of of those things Um. And I I want to say that, you know, it's a combination of all these communities I've been a part of, like the reform community, this hymn community, the queer community, and also um, kind of like Riot girl World, which is a, a third wave feminist punk movement. Yeah. Um, which I also highly recommend to any three because... <laughs> Because punk is all about doing it just for the sake of doing it and not caring or giving a fuck if anyone buys your record or shows up at your show, it's like, do it because it's just good to do it and without any expectations Release it of ex- it. Yeah, world. exactly. Yeah. Like, I I, th- I think find that highly therapeutic. Hell so yeah. um, that's kind of my like DIY um, approach and like minimalist um, stylistic choices for the
0: album. Amazing. Yeah. Look it up, buy it, give Sue Ann, uh dollars for her emotional labor and education. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Garbage Oprah. <laughs> Anytime, Suanne. <laughs> All right. Bye, y'all. Bye. And so concludes our week of threes. I cannot wait to hear what y'all's takes are. So please at me on Twitter. Oh, God. I'm going to regret that. Hannah Posh, hit me up on Twitter. Let's talk about it. Find Sueann Shaw, S-U-E-A-N-N-S-H-I-A-H on Twitter, on Instagram. Buy her album. Let's do it. See y'all later. Garbage Oprah out, boo.